Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. So let's hear the reading of Matthew 2, 13 to 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfil what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he has ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. How many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Yes? Is there anyone not looking forward to Christmas? Bar humbug. No, I don't think so. I think you're all looking forward to Christmas. Do you know, lots of people were looking forward to that first Christmas. Lots of people were waiting and waiting and waiting for God to send the Saviour. And God wanted to protect that Saviour. At home, sometimes... I buy myself some little treats and I buy them and let's see, where are they? I buy something like that or I buy something like that. Mmm, chocolate. And because I want it and I want to protect it from my children... I hide it away where they won't see it, where they don't know where it is, 
so that when I want it, I can have it and I can enjoy it. Yes, that's exactly why I hide it. Little girl reaching for my chocolates. No way. Do you know, in, at the very first Christmas, Jesus needed to be protected. He was a lot more precious than these chocolates. He was a lot more precious than these chocolates. And God needed to protect him because there was someone who wanted to hurt him. Do you know who that was? King Herod, exactly right. King Herod wanted to hurt Jesus and even wanted to kill him right after he was born. Isn't that awful? Isn't that horrible? That's a terrible story, isn't it? But because God so loved his son and he so loved us, he rescued Jesus. He protected Jesus and took him somewhere safe. Now, I hide my chocolates in special places where children can't see them. Where did God hide and protect his son? Hannah. In Egypt, that's right. God sent him away from Bethlehem down to Egypt to keep him safe, all because he wanted to rescue us. God was looking forward to Christmas because that was the start of his saving plan. Jesus was how God was going to rescue his people. And do you know that Herod wasn't the only one who wanted to kill Jesus? As Jesus grew up, there were a few times where people wanted to kill him. But God kept him safe. God protected him as if he was very, very precious, more precious than chocolate. God protected him so that at the right time, Jesus could die for us. God was so determined to save us that he protected Jesus until the right time. Isn't that good news? And that means we can trust God because he's done everything possible to save us and to rescue us. So how about we close our eyes and we'll hold our hands so that we're not distracting anyone and not being distracted, and we're going to say a prayer and thank God that he protected Jesus and has saved us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you protected Jesus, that you kept him safe from the threat of Herod and from others throughout his life, that he could go to the cross when he grew up and he could die at the right time for us. We pray for all these kids and for all of us grown-ups as well that we would be trusting in this good news that we would be saved, that our sins would be forgiven. Please give us faith to believe. Please give us a great love for Jesus, especially as we come to Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's pray. Pray again as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth and life, that it speaks to us in the hardships of life, 
It speaks to us grisly truths, does not hide things from us. We pray that our eyes would be opened, that our hearts would receive your word, that we would trust you with all of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's Christmas Eve, a time of joy and expectation. Presents are under the tree, decorations are up, the food is either prepared or soon to be prepared. We've heard over and over again it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's meant to be a time of laughter and presence and fun. People are even now getting ready to travel, either to see people on Christmas or to head off on holidays after Christmas. Some have a plan of attack for the Boxing Day sales. But in the days following the very first Christmas, things weren't bright. Joy had become fear. Praise had become mourning. Laughter had become wailing and tears. See, we love the angelic announcement to the angels and and the coming of the wise men, and we wish we were there. But we don't wish we were here in this story, experiencing the pain of Herod's paranoia. This story is painful to consider. It raises huge questions, many of which can't be adequately answered in one sermon. Questions about God's sovereignty and his love. But it also gives us hope. Because the horrific and heartbreaking story is surrounded by God's protection, God's determination to save. We could focus on the trauma that these families felt on that first Christmas, but we must never lose sight of the fact that because of Christmas, all trauma will cease. God is working his salvation plan and nothing can threaten it. In this passage, God protects his son twice. We see protection from Herod in verses 13 to 15 and protection from Archelaus in verses 19 to 23. But God doesn't sugarcoat life or history. In the middle of of those two moments of protection in verses 16 to 18, we see Herod's wrath. But as great as Herod's wrath is, nothing can threaten God's saving plan. And so we turn to our first heading, protection from Herod, in verses 13 to 15. The wise men had left, going back to their own country. Now remember, Bethlehem was only a few hours' walk from Jerusalem. Herod had told them to come back to Jerusalem and tell him where he was, where Jesus was, so that he could go and worship. The threat to the child looms large in in this story. 
But God won't have his saving plan thwarted by an earthly tyrant king. God has planned for the coming of Jesus since before the foundation of the world. Even in the garden, he announced that someone would come who would defeat sin, death, and the devil, who would rescue his people, who would restore them to perfection and purity so that they would live with him in joy forever. And nothing can threaten God's saving plan. Look at verse 13. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Sometimes we treat Joseph like a second-rate and expendable character in the grand story. He's forgotten in the background most of the time. Joseph doesn't say a word in the Bible. He's silent. But he's the hero in this story. While I was thinking about silent heroes this week, Ben Carson came to mind. People might know him now from his recent political career. I don't want to comment on that. But but when I read his biography years ago, he was an incredible neurosurgeon. He led the first team of surgeons uh, in the first separation of conjoined twins who were joined at the head. But it was his time in Australia that I particularly remembered this week. A a woman had a tumour at the base of her skull causing deafness, weakness of facial muscles, and which would uh, eventually produce paralysis. And the doctor's were not expecting to be able to save her cranial nerves as they were planning on going in and removing this tumour. But Ben Carson tried a new microscopic technique and did manage to save the nerves. But the patient never knew it was him. The, The head surgeon got all the credit. Carson was a silent hero for this young woman. Now, Joseph doesn't speak but his actions speak for him. In verse 14, he obeyed the command either that very night or maybe the next night. They needed to be quick. And so Joseph took the child and his mother to Egypt, where they stayed until Herod died. But then we get those interesting words in verse 15. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, various elements of the Christian, of the Christmas story have been attacked by skeptics. And this phrase has been jumped on with people claiming that Matthew has no idea what he's talking about, that he doesn't have a clue how to handle the Old Testament. The problem is that that quote, out of Egypt I called my son, that's not a prediction of the future. When the prophet Hosea recorded those words, God was speaking of the Exodus. He was looking back, saying that he had rescued his people out of Egypt. He's calling Israel his son. But you see, the skeptics, as they look at that and they critique it, they don't understand how the Bible works. 
Matthew didn't think that this was a direct prophecy of the future. But by using this verse, he's telling us that it's not only the direct prophecies which predict Jesus, he's saying that the stories in the Old Testament are shadows of what would come. Shadows of Jesus. These stories, they anticipate his coming, his mission, his experiences. Like Israel suffered and came through Egypt, that's what would happen to the coming saviour, to Jesus. It's a good reminder for us as we read our Bibles that we're not the heroes of the story. We are not the primary character. It tells us if we read an Old Testament story or a a piece of poetry or a, a piece of wisdom, if we read it and we can't see how it relates to Jesus, well, we haven't yet understood it as deeply as we should yet. We might discover some wonderful lessons and and wisdom for life, but if we haven't found Jesus in the passage, we need to keep looking. See, the Old Testament is the preparation for God's saving plan. The New Testament is the fulfilment of that saving plan through Jesus. This is the central part of the story, and nothing can threaten God's saving plan, which is why Jesus is protected from Herod and why we should read our Bibles with our Jesus glasses on, desperate to see him wherever we are in the Bible. But while Jesus had protection from Herod, not everyone did. In our second heading, verses 18... uh, 16 to 18, we see Herod's wrath. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Stories like this make our hearts ache. And if you've lost a child, you, you can probably feel this all the more. We, we can imagine the cries from Bethlehem, which Jeremiah spoke about. And again, that wasn't a prophecy. It was talking about what happened at the exile, but it anticipated the despair of these mothers and fathers. And as, as we read, we're left with heartbreaking questions. But before we tackle them... We should first hear again the accusation that this was completely made up by Matthew. Some Bible skeptics point out that no one else records this event, and surely if it did happen, it would have been mentioned somewhere. It's that horrific. It would have been mentioned somewhere else. Now, if you're a Christian, you need to be prepared to answer that accusation because it's possible that you have a friend who has done some research, and one day they'll pull this out as their reason for not believing. Maybe they've read something or they've seen a video on YouTube or TikTok. But the fact it's not recorded anywhere else, at least that we have, isn't a good enough reason to not believe it happened. 
First, we need to realize this was completely in character with Herod. He had close members of his family killed. And because the Jews hated him, he gave orders when he was sick, he was about to die, he gave orders that when he died, the leading men of Israel were to be arrested and executed to make sure that the Jewish people were mourning at his death. This was the kind of man he was. Thankfully, that order wasn't carried out. But that's the kind of man he was. Second, Bethlehem was a small town. Maybe there were 20 boys that age. Maybe. And it's tragic. But given how bloodthirsty Herod was, it's not surprising that not every moment of his Uh, bloodthirsty nature came out that it wasn't all recorded sadly for many the bible is guilty until proven innocent now there's more that we could say about the supposed historical issues and the reliability of the bible but the harder questions are the emotional ones why did god let this happen He warned Joseph, why could he not warn everyone? Why not stop Herod completely? And that gets at the heart of the goodness of God. But the whole reason Jesus came as a baby was to bring an end to sin and suffering. One of my favourite carols is, O Holy Night. And it captures the glory of the birth of of Jesus and also our desperate need of him. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Why didn't God stop this tragedy? One reason is that it highlights our desperate need for him. All through the history of God's people, they have been attacked by God's enemies. Herod reminds us of Pharaoh killing the baby Israelite boys by having them thrown into the Nile. Or Haman at the time of Esther, desperate to annihilate all Jews because one of them didn't bow down to him. The Lord Jesus was born into a world of pain, tears and mourning, oppression, hatred, murder of children. And we still live in that world. Domestic abusers kill their children or the children of their partners. Parents have children killed while they're in the womb. In IVF, embryos that that are not needed are frozen or destroyed. Living human babies today are killed in, in more numbers than we can bear to think about. And it's into this world that the Saviour has come. And nothing can threaten God's saving plan. Herod's wrath can't stop God saving his people. As the carol says, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Herod wanted Jesus dead. But his time hadn't yet come. One day, like the baby boys in Bethlehem, One day he would die, but he'd go willingly. 
Instead of being a helpless baby, he would be a man who could summon the armies of heaven to his side with a whisper. He went to the cross so that one day he could wipe away every tear. One day, the baby Jesus, who grew up to be a man, who died on the cross, who rose and ascended into heaven, one day he'll come again, judging every atrocity and bringing the comfort of the God who is love to the brokenhearted, to the crushed and hurting. Nothing can threaten God's saving plan, not even Herod's wrath. And not only does God protect Jesus from Herod, but we see in verses 19 to 23, in our third heading, we see protection from Archelaus. Now we have the death of Herod in verse 19. And that happened at about 4 BC. Don't be too confused by that, thinking that Herod somehow died before Jesus was born. The person who worked out our calendar, our dating system, he was in the 6th century, And he was out by a a couple of years. That's pretty good. The angel had told Joseph in verse 13 to remain in Egypt until he told him. And well, now the angel appears to Joseph again in another dream in verse 20. Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And once again, Joseph is perfectly obedient. He trusts God. He's taken up his responsibility to love the child as his own and to love Mary, his wife. Let's not underplay Joseph. It was this simple carpenter that God used to protect Jesus and Mary from Herod and now that they're coming back to Israel, he'll protect them again. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. I wonder if you've ever had a moment of dread for the future where you were certain something bad was going to happen. It was almost as if you could hear that ominous music being played in the background of a TV show. Have you ever ever heard that? At a very minor level, that was me in high school when the time came for my piano lesson and I realised that I hadn't practised all week. That happened fairly regularly. That ominous music would begin to play in my mind and so I would try to cram into that last 30 minutes that I had before my lesson, cram in all the practice that I should have been doing that week. For others, more seriously, it might be heading into that surgery, worried that they won't come out of it alive. The doctors have given the odds explained what they're going to do, what, what the complications might be afterwards. But, but there's this dread in the pit of the stomach of the person who's going in. Maybe even in the pit of the family's stomach as they watch. The ominous music is playing. That was Joseph. Herod the Great had ruled over all of Israel, plus a bit extra. And now that Herod was dead, his territory had been split into three and were ruled by one of each of his sons, with Archelaus ruling over Judea. 
And this is just another time where the Bible describes a historical reality, something that we know from outside the Bible to be true. But why was Joseph so worried about Archelaus? And why did God actually agree with his assessment? Because Archelaus was extremely cruel. And when a ruler was called cruel back then, you can bet that they were cruel and ruthless. He was so bad that Jewish leaders went to Rome to say that unless he was removed, there was going to be a full-scale revolt. And Rome listens to them, and Archelaus the ethnarch was replaced by prefects. It's interesting to think that Archelaus could have been given one of the other segments of his father's territory. But God determined that Archelaus would rule over the region that Bethlehem was in so that that would drive Joseph and the family to Nazareth in Galilee, in the north, so that, verse 23, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. There's no prophecy that we can point to which explicitly says Jesus would be a Nazarene. Probably Matthew is pointing to hints throughout the Old Testament that he would be despised and rejected, much like the prophets were despised and many righteous people throughout the Old Testament were despised. See, if Jesus had grown up in Bethlehem, there would have been this continual association with him about the city of David. But growing up in Nazareth, well, that did nothing for his reputation. It didn't make anyone want to listen to him. Nathaniel asks in John 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus was to be despised and rejected. So he would be called a Nazarene. See, nothing can threaten God's saving plan. Not Herod, not Archelaus. Jesus came to save his people, not only from the sin of others who hurt them, but from their own sin. This isn't one of the normal Christmas stories that we know and love. But in this story of threats against Jesus and and the pain of mourning and despairing parents, we see the grace of God. We see his determination to save us. We wish that he'd stop the Herods of the world from all of their evils. And I have no doubt that at times he does. We just don't get the announcement of it. But he allows evil like this to occur, not because he doesn't care, but because this is what a world stained by sin looks like. These are the moments that we know we need rescuing. When we long for a world freed from the curse brought about by our sin, when we long for perfection and hope and light, instead of frustration and despair and darkness, when every tear will be wiped away and the God of all comfort will be the one wiping them all away, with compassion and grace. Christmas is meant to be a time of joy as we remember that God became a baby to save us. But for many, Christmas is a time of heartache. 
It might be the first Christmas without a loved one. But nothing can threaten God's saving plan. Not the Herods of this world who come with cruelty. Not the governments who threaten with unjust laws. Not the pain of lost loved ones. Not the horror of our own sin. Jesus has come. God came to earth as a man to save to die on the cross in our place, bearing our punishment. And through the pain and the heartache of this world, nothing can threaten God's saving plan. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do give you thanks that nothing can threaten your saving plan. You are a good God who rescues us. You protected Jesus so that we could be saved. We thank you, our God, for him. And we pray that we would have greater faith. We pray that in our pain we would turn to you. We pray that this Christmas, as some of us experience pain, will come across those who are experiencing pain, We pray that we would be comforted or be a comfort to them. That we would know that Jesus will come again and every tear will be wiped away. We thank you that Jesus has come and we look forward to his coming again. We pray this Christmas that we would grow in our love and our longing for him. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.